What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Kinda Different, a podcast where we explore some of my favorite issues to talk about in dentistry. Uh, we talk about innovation. We connect with some absolutely amazing guests, and we talk about how we can make dental care more human, healthcare more human today, um, as we have Lisa with us. Um, Lisa, I am so glad that you are here with us today. You are an expert in so many things. Uh, you have so much to share. And so I'm going to let you introduce yourself in just a minute for all of our listeners. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Matt Allen. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Different Kind and the host of Kind of Different. And really just thrilled to have Lisa White with us here today, who is an expert in all things value-based care, um, an expert in so many ways of thinking about how we can make uh, medicine better, um, what's worked, what's not worked. Uh, you have a ton of expertise, and I'm just really excited for you to share with us. So um, please, would you give us kind of a quick intro, quick bio, um, your have so many things on your bio sheet that I'm like, I don't even know what to say. So I'll let you highlight the most important things uh, for those who are, who are tuning in today. Sure. Lisa White. Um, so my number one area of expertise is crazy ideas. Um, <laughs> I have worked in many different parts of the healthcare universe, and I did that on purpose. Um, my very first conscious decision that I wanted to commit myself to healthcare was actually years ago when I was a benefits administrator for Northern Telecom and had an experience where I had a person come to me from the manufacturing floor with this massive hospital bill for an emergency um, visit for his son who had been in, accidentally shot on a hunting trip. Jeez. And um, it was the first time in my young professional life that I recognized just how hard the healthcare system was to navigate and still mm -hmm. is. And, you know, I grew up um, always having health care. That was never an issue. So I've actually purposely drawn my path through the healthcare system by going to different areas, you know, PT, long-term care, pharmacy, payer side, provider side. And so I come today with this really um, odd set of, of pieces of information that I can then put together and understand, mm -hmm. okay, well, here's an opportunity here that might benefit us here and here, or... If we do this here, it sounds great here, but there's gonna be downstream effects here and here. Um, so I, I'm mostly known for what we call my crazy shower ideas, where I start a conversation with, well, I was in the shower this morning and everybody goes, oh God, now what? <laughs> <laughs> so but that's why I like talking to you because you know anything to me that is out of the box, that's a new way of thinking, a new way of approaching, look, healthcare, and I just wrote a big post on this, healthcare is not political. Every single human being living on this planet is going to have to have health care or interact with some healthcare system in some way, even a lack of a system. Right. Yep. And so we just have so many opportunities to create a better, more robust um, and more service oriented system. I love it. I love it. Uh, yeah, I feel like we all have our best, our places where we do our, our best thinking. And I love that yours comes in the shower. I feel like that's, you know, that's a, that's a you got to know where the genius comes, right? Because then you can really prime yourself for that. So um, awesome. Well, let's let's dive in. Let's talk about innovation because um, you have been involved in lots of innovation throughout your career. And I think one of the things that you just said, right, like more service oriented, more human uh, ways of, of thinking about innovation. And so, you know, curious to what you think the role that patients have in innovation 
because I think so often we talk about like, okay, innovation is coming from, you know, a health system or it's coming from a tech company or it's coming from whatever. But what role do you see as patients actually having uh, in the innovation process? Yeah, huge. I think patients don't come with enough appropriate expectations, meaning mm -hmm. they show up for a doctor's appointment. Their expectation is I'm going to be seen relatively close to my appointment time. The doctor's going to tell me what's wrong and I'm going to get a treatment or a prescription or something and I'm going to leave. Right. It's a very limited set of expectations. Yeah. What I don't think we've set the patients up for is the expectation that they could get multiple um, care points taken care of in one place. Mm -hmm. Dental being one that I'm very bullish on, pharmacy being one that I'm very bullish on. So many opportunities where a patient is interacting with the healthcare system in some way and we miss it. And so I think if we start, um, you know, there's so much innovation about uh, patient facing apps, but I don't think it goes quite far enough. I don't think we teach patients, you're in the driver's seat, just like any other consumer driven business, you should have certain expectations of how the healthcare system serves you. And it doesn't matter what your socioeconomic status is, your insurance status, anything. There are certain universal truths that you should accept and, and, and look for as patient. Poof. Man, you are in the driver's seat. Man, that I like. What would happen if that were if, if all patients accepted that as truth, right? If that was how how they came to their appointments, what a big difference that would be. I mean, going deeper into that, then you know, is there something for patients? We're, we're all patients, right? We all walk into these places. Is there something that you found that's like a great first step in that process, where it's like, hey, if you just do this or ask this question or you know, think about this, right? Like, is there something that you could share that you would say that would benefit all patients in that way to, to take the first step if they're still interacting with the healthcare system in the way that you first described? I think no matter where you go in the healthcare system, it's not hard for the person you're facing off to, to do a social needs screening. Mm. Um, I'm super excited that that's been added to HEDIS measures for 2023. Now there's an SNS code, right? For, for social needs screening. Um, as a person who I, I was living with domestic violence for a number of years in, mm. uh, in a marriage and I was never asked the right questions. And I, I feel like that if all providers, regardless of where they are in the system or what, you know, what role they're playing, if this became part of our normal vernacular, I think we would uncover a lot of things and yeah. those would be things that we could address early on, um, you know, I'll give you a very, very specific example. When I was um, leading population health and, and value-based programs in Medicaid in Kentucky, there was a patient that kept showing up on a list for this provider saying, this guy's going to the ED like three times a month. What's going on? We don't understand. And getting readmitted. And he kept getting readmitted for diabetic wounds. And the physician could not understand. He's like, every time he comes in here, he can repeat, he can do like teach back to us. He knows what he's supposed to be doing. Right. And so we ended up eventually sending a community health worker out to where he lived only to find out he didn't have any running water. Mm. And so it's things like that, that if the, if in that teach back in that visit with the provider, if they had asked about utilities, food supply, anything like that, they would immediately have said, Oh, okay. So we need to hook this person up with the water department and their charity 
division, right? They're, yep. they're, so it's, it's things like that. I think we are just, we've become so time pressured and so automatic in the healthcare yeah. system. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's probably one of the easiest first steps we could take at every point in the system. Totally. I love it. And I, uh, you know, I think patients can do that as well, right? They can come and offer that stuff. And yeah, as providers, right? Like the invitation, it's hard to expect patients to go from like, Hey, this is, you're expected to like, you know, this is very transactional and you're just kind of getting something out of this to like, we're co-creating this experience. And like, you know, that that's a, certainly a medium step along the way, right? Of like, we need to probably invite them in first before they're going to come in and just like fully give us a lot of the things that we might want and need in the future. And so I love that that kind of intermediate step can exist that's for right. a lot of us. Because so. even the most transparent of patients that feels like they're going to share with you suddenly in the back of their mind, they're going, yeah, this is not my therapist. I need to like, back <laughs> off and start dumping on this person. So totally, totally. Awesome. Um, cool. Well, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you this question because I think you have so much expertise in, in oral, or I mean, in, in value-based care and, and thinking about it through an oral health lens, um, you know, of, of how we can actually make progress in that way. Um, and so as you look at, you know, dental dentists and, you know, dental professionals and dental insurance companies, like starting to engage in alternative payment models and, and, you know, models where they're taking on risk, what's something where you, and that might be just upside risk to begin with, right? Like you can, you can tell us here, but what, uh, what are some, like, what's one way that you think, Hey, here's a first step that I think would make sense for everyone because you're great at that, right? You're great at not making it just from one side, given your experience. Um, but th- that would benefit everyone as dental continues towards, you know, an alternative payment model or VBC type of landscape. Absolutely. Have a few thoughts on that. Um, <laughs> this also comes back to the patient uh, moving the innovation too. But look, for dentists, I'm, so I'm going to paint a picture. Imagine you have a relatively healthy woman of childbearing age who is pregnant. During that time, there's probably a year to a year and a half. She's not even going to see her PCP because she's seeing her OB regularly. Mm-hmm. Presumably she's also seeing her dentist twice a year. There are opportunities. And these are by the way, billable, codable opportunities um, that the dental, the dental community could integrate certain types of checks. Let's say this person is a high blood pressure patient. That person should expect when I'm at the dentist, I also get a BP check. And that's part of their high blood pressure management, right? Um, let's expect that if this is a person with a comorbidity that's seeing the dentist that they have a cardiology issue, let's set the expectation that that dentist can have another, you know, another question set, screening set, something that is part of that discussion. Mm-hmm. There are so many times that we treat this information like this. And, you know, the dentist says, this is my lane. The cardiologist says, this is my lane, right? OB says, this is my lane. And I think that the dental practice getting involved in these conversations is really going to be a matter of them saying, hey, we raise our hand. We want to be part of the holistic care of these patients. And so here's what we're going to offer in our office. We're going to do BP checks. We're going to do weight checks. We're going to do, you know, Mm. any number of things that can be combined with a dental visit. Yeah, totally. And I think that there's enough 
dental practices that are out there that are operating in some system with enough interoperability at this point to be able to easily share that information, right? We're not like faxing some form afterwards to another <laughs> physician, but it's part of a shared record, right? Where, you know, that makes it easy then for them to be able to say, yes, I do want to do this. And yes, like I want to be able to participate in the, you know, the, the reimbursement then that's happening for you know, these kinds of patients. So that's right. Um, and PCPs need that too. So PCPs mm -hmm. and value programs, you know what their number one problem is? 99% of the time they have no idea where their patients are going when they're not coming to them. Mm. Unless they happen to be in a hospital system and they're an employed physician and that patient, by the way, is only using providers in that hospital system, which how often does that happen? <laughs> um, there are encounters happening all the time that the PCP doesn't know anything about. This is right. a big hurdle in value programs. So the more connectivity we can create between dental care and physical health, particularly primary care physicians, because by and large value programs are centered on primary care, right? We want one person who is coordinating and driving all of their care. Yep. And these PCPs have been sitting in this black box with no information for years. Mm -hmm. So I think huge opportunity, um, particularly in a community setting where a lot of the providers know each other, right? Hey, let's, mm -hmm. let's have crosstalk. Let's have a monthly care management meeting. Let's have this, let's have that. Lots of opportunities. Interesting. Love it. Um, super, I think important for all of our listeners to hear your perspective, because I think, yeah, like it's not that often that we uh, maybe hear from like, Hey, this is, this is what we see from you know the medical side of like, Hey, this is, there's, a, there's definitely some ways we can do this, but there's some challenges over here too. It's not like the grass is just totally green. So right. um, I love it. And I think that that's really important. Um, let's, I want to ask a couple of questions about you. You're just, just such a lovely person. Uh, so fascinating and always just, you know, appreciate our conversations together. So, um, I would love for us, for you to share something with our listeners, uh, that, that's important to you that maybe a lot of people don't know about, um, you know, something that you're like, Hey, this really drives me. And maybe, maybe it's not something that comes across in my LinkedIn. Tell us, tell us something about, you know, that you're thinking about there. So one of the big things that drives me, um, so I'm an only child. <clears throat> and my dad, when I was growing up, had degenerative heart disease. I never had a healthy dad. Mm. Um, and he died uh, three weeks after my 17th birthday. Wow. But one of the things that that experience taught me was a little insight about how people should be cared for. And I mm. say this because my dad had his primary care physician, same person always, had his cardiologist same person always and by the way the same cardiologist treated my dad's dad my grandfather for the same thing mm -hmm. um had the same pharmacist i clearly remember i'm gonna totally date myself i clearly remember going to the pharmacy with my dad to the rexall pharmacy in my little town and mm -hmm. sitting at the lunch counter <laughs> and getting a root beer float awesome. or a coke float mm -hmm. while my dad awesome. was talking to the pharmacist but these were names that i heard over and over for years you could tell there was a relationship there. There was reliance there. There was crosstalk and interest there. Um, I kind of call, I refer to it as the old country doctor model. I feel like, you know, if we all had a Doc Baker, like a little house on the prairie who did everything, yeah. right? Everything yeah. to end. Um, and I think that's sort of what the original idea was around the ideation around HMOs many, many years ago. So that's a big one. Mm. Um, Another big one is I get really frustrated when we overcomplicate stuff. Mm. You know, there's a funny story um, I heard a long time ago about 
a, a truck getting stuck going into a tunnel and all these engineers got called in and firefighters and everything. And they're trying to figure out how they're going to unwedge this truck. And some little girl in a passing car says, why don't you just take the air out of the tires? <laughs> <laughs> so I just, you know, it's things, it's things like that, that I think, well, I think we're overcomplicating it. You know, one of the things in rural America that we still haven't been able to solve is broadband access, mm. but they do have access to other things. Yeah. Dollar General, more locations in rural America than Walmart. I went on a whole harangue when I was talking to Columbia University a few months ago. I was like, why can't somebody figure out a wearables program with Dollar General? So every time they go in the Dollar General for something, it's downloading and uploading information from their wearable. Come yeah. on, <laughs> stop working on the policy piece of broadband access and, and focus on a much simpler, straightforward solution. So, yep. you know, I think my, a lot of my childhood experience colored mm -hmm. what I expected yeah. from the healthcare system, uh, which turned out to not be at all true. Um, <laughs> and just looking at things from a, a simpler, more direct way, instead of mm -hmm. the incredible overcomplication that we seem to have gotten ourselves into. Totally. Oh, I think that's, that's huge. And, you know, obviously like I live in a, a rural place as well. And actually we still have a pharmacy here where you can get, you know, your, your medications and a root beer float at the same time. So I don't think you're dating yourself at all. Right. But maybe you're placing yourself into uh, a, a place of, yeah, there's, there is something I think that we can learn. And sometimes that is part of the urban rural divide, right. Of oh, like, you know, rural people don't have any, anything to offer. I think there's sometimes, you know, like other oh, backwards, right. There's just, you know, there's a reason they're not living in the cities. And, and I think that there's a lot that, that uh, some of, you know, our urban problems can learn from the way that rural communities solve these issues um, that are always there. So I, I love that perspective. Thank you for sharing. Um, I, I would love for you also to share, uh, you know, just something I've always found you to be a person that always is, uh, showing a lot of gratitude and whatnot. Like what's, what's a way that you consistently show gratitude in your life? I, I always love this question for people because it feels like there's always just something so practical uh, that I get from it, certainly personally, uh, but I'm sure our, our listeners do as well. So what's, what's one way that you do that consistently in your life? Uh, consistently, I live in a mindset of paying it forward. Um, mm -hmm. I mentor people. I help people network for jobs when there's absolutely nothing in it for me. Um, and, and I do that because that was done for me. And there's been a, a time in my life where I did go through incredibly difficult financial times. Um, single mom ended up jobless, homeless. I mean, all kinds of things. And I think one of the number one practices of gratitude that we should and could have as individuals hmm. is simply treating that person in the moment, the way we would have appreciated in the hardest times of it, everybody has gone through something, something. And if you put yourself in that mindset, um, you know, it's so funny. Um, my daughters who are 20 and 24, uh, anytime we go into the city, so we live sort of out um, in the, the countryside of Pennsylvania, but anytime mm -hmm. we go into the city, they always make sure that we all have a stack of dollar bills because we cannot pass someone who mm -hmm. is asking for money and not hand them something. And that's not about whether it's the right thing to do for them or the right thing to do for us. Yeah, It is an exercise in humility mm. to remind us that that could be any of us at any time. Yeah. And so these are just, you know, ways that we've sort of woven in gratitude, but I think profession from a professional standpoint, 
um, I probably overcommit myself sometimes because I try to introduce this person to that person and, um, you know, sure, I'll mentor you. How many, how many months do you need? And, um, yep. but I get so much back from that, mm. you know, getting to help someone get in a better place, whether it's emotionally, professionally, you know, spiritually, whatever. Yeah. Um, and that to me is a form of gratitude. I love it. I love it. I think there's just a, something very profound and just seeing people that you're saying there, right. Of, you know, whether that's somebody who's, you know, asking for money on the street corner and is that going to solve all their problems now, or, you know, the person who's standing in front of you who needs an introduction to someone or whatever that is, right. There's just a, an ability to like not see ourselves and to see someone else in that moment, which I think is really a beautiful way of thinking about that. So thanks for sharing. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, last question here, let's move to, uh, you know, making dental care more human, making healthcare more human um, in general, right? Like I, think and talk and, you know, spend a lot of my time focused on patient experience um, and have always looked to kind of medicine for the right answers, um, though I think sometimes medicine gets it wrong. And so I would love for you to kind of share, you know, as it relates to patient experience in general, what's one thing that you think medicine has kind of gotten right that you think dentistry might not do at this moment and can maybe learn from? Uh, and what's one thing where you've seen medicine maybe get it wrong and where you could say, hey, don't fall into the same trap, like don't adopt these principles that didn't work, don't uh, you know, stay away. Do not so, try this so, at home. Yes, exactly. Would love to hear hear your perspective on on those two two sides of that same coin. You know, it's um, it's a complex question because the answer is different, I find. So I've unfortunately been in a position where I've, had, I've relocated several times, interstate relocations I don't recommend um, <laughs> over the last, you know, 12 years. <clears throat> but there seems to be some truth to the fact that relationship is everything. And that's not any, you know, great, you know, holy cow, the prophet Lisa just announced something none of us has ever <laughs> thought about, right? But we've put practitioners of all sorts in such a position that they are so time pressed and they're so focused on, I got to check this box, this box, this box. I got to look at this computer. I've got five tabs open. I got to, you know, put this here and put that there. We've lost that over the computer discussion. Mm. Yeah. Um, and every time I've had a very positive patient experience, I've noticed it is because the, the clinician stops what they're doing and looks right at me. And I can tell, oh, I've got your attention. Okay, yeah. now I understand. And they play something back to me or they'll say, wait, tell me more about that. Um, and we've set it up so that they're so busy coding and charting and doing everything else that that's hard. They're working yeah. on RVUs, right? Totally. Um, I think, you know, if you think about dentistry, this is actually... Um, a place you can pick up yardage because you typically have as a dentist, you have someone in front of you for a longer period of time, whether it's you personally or the hygienist, right? Right. Yeah. They're in the You've office got someone than for half an hour, 45 minutes, sometimes longer. There's lots of opportunity for crosstalk for you to start mm. to know this patient and create a bond with this patient. Patient experience is human. It's not about your press duty. It's not about your, you know, hospital infection scores. It's a patient experience is human. Mm. And I think the more we create a pathway for those human to human interactions, I went to a new dentist. Um, I tell you, cause you know, I went to the dentist last week, went to yep, a new yep. dentist that my husband has seen a few times. And um, I went in, I was doing my paperwork and they said, do you have your insurance card? I said, 
I think I do, but my husband already comes here and you know, it should be on his file. And she looked at me, she goes, oh, is that Ron? My last name's White. Do you know how many people with the last name White could be floating around, right? <laughs> my husband is not the famous comedian. Yeah. Um, but I just remember being flabbergasted in that moment. So then I had to make a joke out of it. I said, oh God, what trouble has he caused in this? <laughs> what do I need to know that I need to talk to my husband about? But totally. that was personal. Yeah. She suddenly made the correlation. Oh, this must be Ron's wife. He said yeah. she was coming in, right? Um, things like that. But I think dental practices really have a unique opportunity mm. to develop those relationships. And relationships breed what? Trust. So when you're in, you know, you think about someone maybe who's going to a general dentist for dentures. And they're in there repeatedly, right? Because this is a long process or something goes wrong. They need to go back. If they have a trusting relationship with that dentist and that dentist is in the mindset of asking social needs screening questions or taking their blood pressure or any of those things that we talked about, that now is a relationship of trust. And that patient can expect, oh, when I go in for my denture check, the dentist is also going to do a BP and ask me how my blood sugar has been going and this and that. So it's very much this holistic relationship trust issue that I think um, we'll call it big healthcare really yeah. fails at yeah. <laughs> and, and not universally. Right. So I go to a health system. So I go to a health system physician. She's mm -hmm. great at it. She does look up over the computer. She does come over and have a conversation with you. And we're very loyal to her. Yeah. Um, but that's what does it. I love it. I love it. It reminds me, I mean, there's so many good anecdotes in there that we could pull out, but there's actually a paper. I don't know if you saw this from JAMA a few years ago. I think it was from UT San Antonio. I could be wrong about that. Um, but where they actually looked at physicians who didn't use a computer during the initial interview versus physicians who did and like the difference in like patient perception. And it was like better communicators, more professional, more empathetic, like, you know, all of those things that you're talking about. And like, I was like, this is a great study. Like, thank you someone for doing this so that people can be like, yes, there's actually evidence to show that when you just literally push that computer away, even if it's for a second, like you said, and I love that, like, just tell me more, like that could be the very first step for somebody, um, but that it really does make a difference. So thank you right. for sharing. I love it. That's a scientific study that proves what my dad always said was don't do business with someone you can't look in the eye. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Right. Exactly. So yeah. We, yeah. For the people who need the evidence, it is there, right? Um, for those of us who are like, hey, that makes common sense, then it's also there too. Um, awesome, Lisa. Well, thank you so much for, for taking the time to join us. I mean, this is, uh, we could talk about this for days on end. I know uh, there's so much here that you could help us understand as a profession. And so I'm, I'm so grateful that you chosen to share a little bit with, uh, with us today. Uh, if people want to you know, know more about you, um, where you're currently working, what you're currently doing, you know, how would they get in touch with you? How would they find out more um, to, to continue to glean from the many uh, deep, uh, the deep well of expertise that you have? And, and my endless source of bizarre and funny analogies. There you um, go. Exactly. You always can find me on LinkedIn. Send me a connection Perfect. request. Say that you heard me on Kind of Different and um, happy to uh, accept and give you any advice or have conversations. Um, that's probably the easiest way to find me. I am currently working in the health tech space as a uh, transformation executive, helping um, payers and providers basically with strategy on rolling out clinical analytics solutions. So that's what I'm doing right now. But yeah, hit me up on LinkedIn. Always good for a conversation. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Lisa. Like I said, it's, it's always a joy to talk to you. I always laugh. I always learn something. Uh, and I always feel like I got to, to just have a conversation with someone who I deeply respect. So thank you so much for taking the time today. Uh, I know our listeners are grateful as well. So let me pass along their advanced gratitude. Uh, we are thankful and we hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you very much for having me. 